Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, Level Up Podcast. I've got my business partner, podcast partner, Greg Harrelson, again uh, with us. How are you doing, Greg? Doing good, man. Excited to be back on the uh, on the air with the Level Up Podcast with another great guest. Yep, we've got a great one today, and we're uh, joined by Tom Caffarella. And Tom owns uh, two, two real relevant um, companies and business models. He's got a brokerage out of Wakefield, Massachusetts, Boston area, and then also owns uh, Ocean City Developments, which is really, Tom's going to get into a little bit more about what he does, but an investment group, and he's uh, getting into coaching agents and uh, on the investing side of the business, which we should all be looking at at some point in our career. So, Tom, thank you for hopping on to the Level Up podcast. It's great to uh, great to have you on. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. Well, good. Well, I, you know, uh, Brennan, and, and just a little bit of prep conversation with, with Tom, you know, I, I, I like that today. I think one of the things that the audience is going to enjoy is that Uh, It sounds like, Tom, you're fairly creative and that you're thinking out of the box. And, um, you know, one of the things that's really becoming a challenge, I'm not telling you anything, nor am I telling the industry anything, and that is getting listings, you know. um, But on top of that, I mean, even myself on, on, gosh, in previous years, I was probably buying 10, 15 properties a a year as an investor. And um, in just in the last... uh, six months, it's just been nearly impossible for me to find investments. It's not that I haven't found one, um, but the numbers are, 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 have declined dramatically without me compromising on, um, on my margins and whatnot and taking too high of a risk. So, you know, Brendan and Tom, I think today, if we could talk about um, conversations around identifying not only sellers who we might be able to build inventory with as real estate agents, but also while we're going through that process, maybe finding some investments that we might want to fix, flip, or or push to our investors along the way. So, um, Tom, what, 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 where would you like to start on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I could just start kind of where I came from, I think yeah. that's going to kind of tie in a little bit. I mean, I started out like I'm a, you know, an agent today. I've got a brokerage that has 350 agents underneath me, but I started as an investor and I started as somebody who just wanted to do like standard fix and flip projects. And I would do all the standard traditional we buy house type marketing, whether that's putting up a bandit sign or doing a mailer or just telling people or door knocking, like all of the standard things that we buy house companies kind of do. And In order to buy them at a discount, like you mentioned, Greg, I mean, it's so competitive out there today, but it's always been competitive, but I don't know that it's ever been more competitive than where we're kind of sitting right now, but you've got to talk to sellers face to face. And so again, you know, me being in the early stages of my career, 10, maybe even 15 years ago, dare I say at this point, I'm getting up there, but, uh, I would go out and just try to buy the homes. And so back in, in 2013, when my daughter was born, my daughter's eight now, um, I said to myself, like, I don't want to go on all these appointments myself because I was working 80, 100 hours a week, kind of running around doing a bunch of, of different things. And I said, I want to hire somebody just to take my appointments. So me as the business owner, like, I want to set the appointments, I want to do the marketing, I want to run the business, but I want somebody else to actually be the person to go out and meet with them. And the person happened to be a real estate agent. Like, I didn't purposely say I want to hire a real estate agent underneath me. 
they happened to be a good fit for the job and they also had their license. And I kept sending them out on appointment after appointment. And I know as an investor that the numbers for me in my market are 19 out of 20 people who say that they want to sell to an investor don't actually want to take a discount on their home. Most of them, like we call it the, the investor process, like they want to sell with no, no brokerage fee. They want to sell fast. They want to sell leaving stuff in their home. So they want the benefits of it, but they don't want to give up that little bit of equity. So when I was sending this agent out on these appointments, 19 out of 20 times, he would come back to me and he would say, Tom, like this is a complete waste of time. We should list the home. And so I kept saying to him, well, I don't want to be a brokerage. I'm not trying to list homes. I'm trying to buy homes. And he kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. Again, this is going back to the beginning of 2013. So I finally said, you know what? You want to list a house? Go list it. And uh, you guys will laugh. I said, anything you, you, you list, I'll give you a 90-10 split. You get 90, I get 10. That's <laughs> how little at that point like I cared about the, the listing side of the business. Long story short, in 2013, he ended up listing 64 homes. So, you know, it caused me to kind of rethink, like, I guess now what they would call like an iBuyer or, you know, in the industry, what kind of we do. And it caused me to really think like, hey, this is actually a business model for the residential retail side of the business. Because what I think like the investor component kind of does, it gets you in the door. So when I market to try to get homes to buy, all the marketing is going to say like, you know, sell your house fast for cash, selling your time frame. you know, there's no fees to pay of any kind. So even if somebody has like an agent that's like, okay, like maybe I would list with them, they're still going to call me as compared to say you doing a mailer as an agent saying, Hey, like I'm the number one office in my, in my neighborhood, or this is a couple of comparable homes, or I can do a CMA. So indirectly, my company, we get ahead of all of those agents, because if they're going to sell, and let's just say the 19 out of 20 people, if they can sell easier and faster and with less hassle and not have to pay an agent, well, let me explore that option first before I then call that person in a lot of cases. So um, over the past five, six, seven years, we've turned that into a whole business model where we're basically taking the overflow of the investment business and running a brokerage off of that kind of overflow. And of course, it goes into more than just like, hey, let's list some homes where the 19 out of 20 people weren't looking for the cash offer. It also goes into the coming soon marketing. It goes into the open houses. It goes into the sign riders. It goes into the, uh, the, all of the lead generation that we do on the buyer side. And we've got a buyer team kind of off of that. But it was all built basically on a byproduct of me trying to fix and flip homes. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't think I've heard a story like that. You know, usually it's um, you, you people are entering in on the agent slash brokerage side and then they're transitioning to um, to the investor side. Yeah. And you're really, really an investor that's 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 built another uh, avenue with the brokerage and the agent side. So that and, and, and so at in 2013, how many people did you have working with you? Because you said 318 agents within your brokerage right now. That's oh. a fairly large company. So, yep. And that seems to be a good bit of growth in, in your um, in your last seven to eight years. 
Yeah. So when I, when I first hired that first person, I was the broker on record, and then that he was the first person. So there was, yeah. there was one of us, you know, in 2013. And like I said, the first year when I was giving him, you know, 90-10 splits on all the listings that he was taking, um, it wasn't really until the beginning probably of 2014 or maybe the middle of 2014 where I said, like, I need to start changing my structure, not just the pay structure, but how I kind of utilize all these different, you know, avenues. So how do you not only take them as listings, but how do you create the secondary transactions from them? And um, like you mentioned, like I, I did, I was an agent in 2006. So I actually was an agent before I became an investor, mm-hmm. but I really didn't start kind of leveraging my business until I added the investor component. And for me specifically as an agent, I did okay. You know, I networked and, you know, I had a sphere of influence, but I, I never really, you know, hit six figures until I started adding the investing component to my business. And I think that's part like, you know, where my personality's at, what my strengths and weaknesses are and all that good stuff. But yeah, and then as we've grown, I mean, I think, um, you know, adding to the brokerage, looking for really good talent, um, there's all different types of makeup of, of agents that are out there. So we're always scouting and looking for the best and, you know, sometimes we come up with, with somebody who's part-time that doesn't necessarily fit into my model, but we'd still be a good fit for the brokerage. So we're just always out there. And I've got a quote behind me. It's a, St- a Steve Jobs quote. And it says, hiring the best is your mo- most important task. And that's what we're trying to do both on the aging side and on our staff side. It's just like, go out there into the market, in my market, and hey, who are the best people? And let's try to push them onto my side. Yeah, yeah. Which is easier yeah. said than done, but Sure. Yeah. But it starts with an attitude or a mindset, right? So, I mean, if you're constantly reminded, uh, you're reminding yourself of that, then of course that's going to influence your, your activities and whatnot. So Brendan, one of the things that I I think our audience would love to know is like, okay, this is this great story and, 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 and great explanation on how do we, we get here, but it sounds like there's a, there's some sort of information here that we could share with the audience and like how they can compete against those all the iBuyer programs or, you know, for those agents out there to say, well, I'm really not an investor. And, you know, I don't, I can't compete with those iBuyer programs. I, I sure would like to get my hands on some of those listings. What, what kind of advice can you give for that agent that's out there trying to get listings right now? Yeah, there's a few things. And I, I hear that all the time from agents, like I'm not an investor. I don't want to be an investor. I don't want to flip homes and all that good stuff, but you don't need to be uh, team up. There are so many investors that are out there. I mean, you, you, you do a post online in a, in a Facebook group, in a community that you work in and say, hey, I've got a great fix and flip project. Like who'd want to, you know, buy it? You'll get 50 people that are going to respond to you. There mm-hmm. are so many investors out there. There's so many people out there with cash. It won't take more than one week if you tried to find 10 or 15 or 20 investors that would be willing to buy these deals. So for you as the agent, there's so many different angles you can go with it. I mean, the first is, let's just say that you want to be completely out of the investor game. Well, great. Now just partner up and find a couple of investors who you can hand these deals off to if they go cash. Now, keep in mind, like we said in the beginning, 19 out of 20 are not going to go cash. You're going to walk in the door, house is going to be beautiful, and they're just going to say, yeah, like, I, I really just don't want to pay an agent. And of course, that flips into another conversation of like, well, you know, your goal is that you want max money for your house. So in order to do that, we need to get the most amount of eyeballs, not off market it to an investor. But having the investor is the easy part. 
And mm -hmm. I, I mean, Greg, how many investors mm -hmm. do you know in your market that would love to find a great deal? I know one is me, and then, yeah. and then I've got a lot of friends that uh, that are right there with me. So I, I, I can't I, imagine, and I can't imagine. Well, here's here's a statement that I'll make, and this really applies for all markets, but especially now. There's never a good deal that goes unfunded. Exactly. Never. Exactly. So so for me, it just depends on how you, as the agent, want to kind of profit from that. I mean the. If you just say, hey, I really don't want to be involved at all, well, at least if you're going to refer that over to an investor, get the listing back when they're done with it. I mean, that's at the very least. And of course, an investor in this market isn't going to squabble with you over whether you're charging four or five or six percent. They're going to be happy to pay whatever your fee is. So that's the least you should be doing. If not thinking about like partnering with some of those investors or, you know, working out some sort of other arrangement with it. So if you're just mainly in it to get the listings, to get the seller appointments and all that good stuff, at the very least, get the listing on the back end when it does go to an investor route. But then out of those other times, those 19 out of 20, then that becomes a different conversation. And I mean, I love when they go investor, even if I wasn't a flipper, I would still love that they go investor because I'd be getting that listing on the back end and it would be a beautiful home renovated at a higher price point than when I actually went into that home. So, the so would you get the listing from the seller at the at the and at the lower price, mm -hmm. and then you'd have the agreement that the um, that the buyer would would when they fix and then flip it, they flip it through you as the agent. Are you getting kind of both sides in that scenario? You can. I mean, and it just depends on how you approach it, and also what the seller you know is willing to do. So mm -hmm. when you when you go in in under that scenario, sometimes the seller is just so adamant that they don't want to pay an agent. But that in that case, you might have to, you know, getting on the back end, but you may also be able to get, you know, a small, you know, fee up front. Sometimes the investor would pay you a small fee up front and it doesn't even have to necessarily be the seller. But again, those are going to be like, those are the ones we look for. Those are the diamonds in the rough for my business. Those are the ones where I make more money on. But if you're an agent that isn't really too excited about that, at the very least, you know, make something on them and then have those other opportunities where you're getting in the door talking to a seller before somebody else. And I, I think one of the important points on it is that we get in the door so many times with sellers who have a very minimal relationship with another agent, but they wouldn't have called us if we, if we were just saying, Hey, we want to like list your house, you know, because as mm -hmm. we know, and I'm sure you guys talk about it on, on your podcast all the time, how, how many agents do a really good job working their database? And going back and being like, hey, I sold this person a home five years ago. I'm still calling them once a month. That's the rare agent that's doing that. So yeah. what we run into quite frequently is, oh, well, like if I were going to list, I would probably list with my agent who sold me the house six years ago. Well, when was the last time you talked to them? Well, six years ago. Are you committed to them? Well, you know, kind of. It's just a tool. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, one of the things that I, I, I'm itching to, to maybe see what uh, Tom can share is how, how could we get started in identifying these opportunities, whether I want to buy them or whether yep. I want to list them as an agent, um, either in either scenario, that's kind of dictated by the transaction itself, but there still has to be uh, a lead generated of some sort. So how do you, what, what is the lead generation strategies for uh, to, to do something like this? I think it depends on whether or not you want to do it really passively or actively. 
Okay. If you're talking about passively, it could be as simple as calling through your database or doing a couple mm -hmm. posts on Facebook that, hey, I'm looking for homes to buy. And it doesn't have to be a big element to your business. And one other thing to that, just be aware that when you're going into these homes where there's a horror situation or there's something about the property that you have more than just a listing option to go in with. And that's another mistake mm -hmm, that, I think mm -hmm. that don't think about the investor side. They actually lose those opportunities because they go into a home where the house needs a lot of work and they're telling the seller, well, hey, to get this property listed, you need to put a hundred grand into the property. Not listening to the seller who's probably telling them like, hey, I really don't have the money to do this. Like I want, I want an easy sale. So that's the passive way just to be aware of it and to do some posts on Facebook. Hey, look, I'm looking for, for homes to buy. I've got a, a client who you know is looking for a fix and flip deal in this area. Do you know of anything? Um, and then there's the, the more active component. Mm -hmm. and the more active component is like, are you going to go and are you going to prospect for these things? And if you are going to prospect for them, then what, what avenue are you going down? Are you going to look and say, Hey, like, I just want to focus on like a specific geographic area because that's where I'm building my real estate business. Or do I want to go after a specific type of seller that's more likely to sell to an investor? And depending on the agent would depend on what route I'm looking to go in. Now, say for me, like you guys mentioned the amount of Wakefield, say I'm an agent who has a pretty big clientele in Wakefield and I'm looking to be the top agent in that area. Well, I might prospect to that area with that type of messaging, whether it's postcards or whether it's calls or whether it's door knocking. And that way I'm going to get more opportunities in the specific area. But if you're saying, hey, like I'm really going after the investor element, now we've got to kind of build a list and we've got to look at some of the variables that um, a seller kind of exhibits that makes them more likely to sell to an investor. Like how long they've owned their home, how much equity they have, maybe a, a variable based on like whether they went through a divorce or they're in probate or all of these different things. And you can make a really good list that you can then prospect to and say, hey, this is going to be one where it's probably more likely that they're going to go investor as opposed to just door knocking your neighborhood in Wakefield, knowing that most of them are going to be, you know, retail type clients. Great point. Yeah. I, I like too that um, Tom, that you, you pointed out, I think one of the biggest things that a lot of agents go into appointments with the misconception that everybody's looking for the highest price. And yep. to your point, 19 out of 20 people usually are. But yep. there's one person out of every 20 people that is decided to say, you know what, time is more important, terms are more important, smooth transaction, my, you know, me being able to stay in the home, those things outweigh a lot of time price. So you go in there talking all about this is what I can do, but you've got to you know, put some money into it and then they lose deals. So I think with the consumer right now, just wanting options, that's a huge, that's a huge piece. Well, I think it goes back to like being a good salesperson. What's the number one thing? Listening, right? So listen to what the other person's saying. If the other person's saying to you, I don't want to list my house, you trying to convince them to do something that they don't want to do. Like that's like breaking sales rule number one. I mean, you get to actively listen to what your client is actually looking for. And like you mentioned, yeah, most of them are not going to, not going to want to sell it to an investor because guess what? It doesn't actually make sense for them. But for those one out of 20, you need to be aware of the identification. The other thing too, that I see like my agents and other agents use it for is like, Hey, like, even though it's a hot market, have this as a fallback opportunity. And I know a lot of companies, they'll kind of 
I don't want to, I don't know if falsely is the right word, but they'll kind of represent like, hey, if we can't sell your home in this amount of days, we'll buy it. But they don't really have a buyer. They're kind of using that as a marketing tool. Whereas like our company, when we go in, I actually want to buy your house. Now, I'm pretty confident that if we go and list your house for the right price and we market it the right way, it's not going to come to that. But you have a guaranteed cash buyer and any agent in any market as long as they have that relationship with a real cash buyer, a legitimate one, they're going to be sitting there waiting. And yeah, most sellers aren't going to utilize it. But I, I did have an example. It's kind of near, actually, it's in the town I grew up in, Revere, Mass. And the house was in pretty good condition. Really, it could have sold retail. They did list it. They had an inspection. Buyer got cold feet. I, I, I didn't think that the inspection was bad enough that they should have backed out, but they did. They, they got it under contract again, same situation. We got the inspection report back. I looked at it and I'm like, you know what? It's really just first time home buyers getting cold feet more than this has a lot of issues. Seller came back to us and they were like, look, I'm done. Like I'm done doing it the traditional route. I do want to sell to you directly. I know that I could go back onto the market or I could fix these repair items and I could probably get more money, but I'm, I'm ready at this point. So I think that's the other area where a traditional agent can kind of use it and say, look, I have a legitimate, you know, cash offer guarantee. My objective, if I'm going to list your home, like we're probably not getting there, but at least you know that you have it in your back pocket if you need it. And some sellers are going to use it for whatever reason. And, and that was, again, an example of one where, like I said, I mean, I looked at that house. It didn't need a lot of work. I saw the inspection report. I didn't really agree with it, but that doesn't mean a first time home buyer is not going to get scared. And that doesn't mean that the seller doesn't decide, hey, look, I'm ready to just cash in my chips at this point. That's the best solution for me. So go ahead, uh, Brennan, and then I'll, I'll go. Go ahead. You, yeah, you first. I'm just going to switch gears a little bit. I, I know you okay. said beginning that you, as you started doing more on the, on the uh, Ocean City Development side, that company, that you wanted to, just your everyday investor coaching them will became a little bit more monotonous. And so you wanted to focus more on showing agents how to get involved and because we're around deals, we're around properties all the time, we're around opportunities and I think a lot of them miss them. So how do you take that, um, that new agent or the, the agent that's been around, but hasn't, you know, this is kind of that scary thing that they haven't done yet and break it down for them to where they can take advantage of the opportunity because that is a really strong agent that can analyze an investment is going to be a great listing agent and an even better buyer's agent. So can you can you tell us a little bit about the process that you go through? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think is like, I've, I've done a lot of coaching. I, I don't think that my personality necessarily is a coach. And I think, uh, Greg, we talked about this really quickly at the onset, like trying to figure out, you know, what you want to be when you grow up. And like, <laughs> I realized pretty quickly, like coaching for coaching sake isn't really my thing. But when I started out coaching, I was coaching like the average person who wasn't a real estate agent who wanted to invest and do flipping and all that. And the reason it didn't work for me, besides the fact that I don't think my personality fit to that, was also that my whole model revolves around seller lead generation. And so agents really get that because agents are trying to do that every single day, as opposed to the average person. They're like, wait, why do I need to generate a lead to flip a home? And it's like, well, we're so kind of like far away from the conversation that we need to be having. So for, for agents that are in my brokerage, I mean, this stuff is in their face every single day. First of all, I, I do um, weekly training on it once a week, agent investor training. 
that goes into kind of the nuts and bolts of this. But within my own brokerage, I have a full-time analyst that actually analyzes every seller appointment that we go on. So when an agent generates a seller appointment, they get a report that basically gives the range of what I would pay for it. So if you're an agent at my brokerage, you have that report before you go out there. So I'm hoping that that agent goes out there and they sign a contract for me to buy it. Now, they don't have to. A lot of my agents are investors and they still run that report and they say, hey, this is what Tom would pay. So I know that if I'm going to buy it, I probably need to be somewhere kind of in that range. So we have agents that are all the way kind of, you know, that are like just using this as like a little bit of a tool. And again, you know, do they run into somebody in their sphere of influence that really needs to sell to an investor, in which case we're, we're trying to buy it, give them the listing on the back end, or are they trying to do it for themselves and they're plugging into my training every week, learning how to prospect for these type of deals, and then using my number for them to purchase, or sometimes they can't fund it and then we get involved. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to help people, specifically agents, build wealth through real estate investing. And that doesn't even touch on like, we've talked a lot about flipping and leads and stuff like that, but that doesn't even touch on all the long-term buying hold stuff, which if I had to pick one or the other, it's probably actually more important. So I I just want to, again, say that, uh, or just going back to lead generation side. So what I just heard you say, which I think is like a, is, is really cool is that, so the agents in your office because you are an investor and maybe some of them are investors also, and hopefully they all become investors when you continue to teach them, because that's a way you can help develop, uh, you know, wealthy individuals that, that are following you. Yeah. Um, so you're giving them some, so you're, you have some sort of method or formula for what you'll pay for a particular property. Yes. And then they either come to you and you tell them, or they have some form figured out. It sounds like you have some form it automatically it's plugged in. And then they can take that to the listing presentation and say, Hey, look, this is what the investor will pay. And that, and, and that's just part of the options. They're not pushing it, but no. they're just saying, Hey, this is one option. And if you do to, to choose this option, we, then we've already got the investment, the investor in line and then whatever other options. So they're always going in with that as a tool. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? The only way they don't go in with that as a tool is if they don't want to, you know, they know it's available. We want them to use it. I don't see any negative of using it as a tool. Yeah. Um, and most of them use it, but, but they don't have to. And, um, you know, with the range too, like if, if they feel like it's a real investment deal and that it's, it's going to be there right when they show up, like sometimes we'll even send like our contractor out there um, just to verify, or sometimes they'll send me pictures in real time um, if they know it's kind of going down that direction. So if we have an opportunity in front of us, we want them to be able to take advantage of it if they want to. Um, yeah. But yeah, we just do had, they ever get concerned that the I mean, and maybe this is not the scenario, but yeah. my, my first uh, thought would be, let's just say hypothetically, the property is fair market value today, which who knows what yeah. fair market value today is, but let's just assume it's 250,000. Um, like how low is the offer coming in? And is it sometimes so low that they that it could hurt them? Um, or, or it, it, maybe they say, no, I better not go in with that because that might turn the seller off. How is, how is that handled? So I know that in practice, some people feel like in some cases it's too low to present. Um, 
I wouldn't do it that way. And the conversation I would have and how we train them is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, I look at it like, what are the benefits of a cash offer and what are you giving up? And the benefits of the cash offer are that you're going to be able to close in your time frame. You're not going to have to have an inspection. You're not going to have to get your home ready. You don't have to have strangers in your house. There's a cost of that benefit. And mm -hmm. in this case, your fair market value is this, and this is what the cash offer is. This is what you're paying for that, you know, for that benefit. Depending on what the conversation I had before, you know, I'm not even going into this conversation until I've had 30 minutes to ask them a bunch of questions and to digest in my head, like, okay, what does this person need and what would make sense for them? So mm -hmm. by the time I've already gone 30 minutes into the conversation, I feel like I have a pretty good, I, I know I would have a pretty good feeling of like, where, what, what are their goals? How can we best help achieve them? And let's just say, for example, that the house is in great condition. They don't need to sell fast. They don't need to, you know, worry about the inspection, all this stuff. I'm going to say, look, I, I have a cash offer for you based on this, 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 and this. I don't think it would make sense for you unless I miss something and correct me if I'm wrong, you told me your goals were this, this, and this, you need this money. This is, um, you don't have an issue with letting people in your house. Like this would be a cash offer. We could always fall back on it, but you know, unless I miss something, I probably wouldn't go in that direction. It, I can remember being, being new in the business. It was always, it was this mystery to me of how does somebody go out and buy something under value and have enough room in there to flip a property. Yep. Up until I got into the first conversation with somebody where time, terms, and everything was more important than money. And yep. you realize that they're fewer and farther between, but it's not smoke and mirrors. It's not going in and telling them, oh, it's really only worth this. I mean, everybody's got every piece of information, every comp with them in their pocket. Yeah. It's not tricking anybody. It's it's explaining or like you said, listening and then hearing, okay this might be the scenario. And most of the time, those are some of the easiest conversations because it's either, oh no, I can't do that. No problem, let's move this direction. Or it does really work for them and they know I'm. this is the trade I'm making. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, exactly. You know, I would say in two thirds of the cases, if we're buying something cash, there's probably some work that's needed. And when the work is needed or there's something that's a, you know, a real problem, then the, the differential between what the property would sell for on the MLS and what I can pay, it shrinks. Right. right? So, so in, in those are like two thirds of them, but then the other, you know, call it a third are really specific situations. Like one of the, the properties I bought, it was a hoarder situation. Biggest thing for the seller. She didn't want anybody in her house mm -hmm. and she knew that she was taking less. She wanted to take less for not letting people in her house that was the most important thing to her. So I could list off like 30 different reasons. And they're all the ones that people think about death, divorce, moving out of state, uh, you know, downsizing, upsizing, like, you know, property needs work and you could list all of them out. And, um, you know, they make sense when you have the conversation with somebody, but it's not going to be a common thing. And yeah, like anytime to me as a salesperson that you're going out with a preconceived notion of what you're pitching before you go in, you're doing the person a disservice. You've got to listen to what they want first and then figure out like, hey, can I help them? And if I can help them, then having the cash offer is another way I could help them. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to work for most people, but it's going to work for that small percentage. So so I, I let me just say this. 
and I'll and and maybe some audiences was was thinking like I am, and I was waiting for at some point, Tom, for you to use the word wholesale, mm -hmm. and I noticed that you haven't. Now that doesn't mean that you don't wholesale or that you wouldn't enter into some sort of wholesale agreement, um, but the reason why I bring this up, and Brendan, I think why it works for Tom and as a business model is because it, you seem to be very sincere about this and you seem to still be thinking about the consumer, the seller, mm -hmm. given that everything's all about giving them options, you know, and, and if there's listeners out there that are saying, well, you know, I don't want to be a wholesaler. That's not what Tom is really doing here. You know, sometimes and not all the time but sometimes people get the feeling that the wholesale deal is kind of like all about the wholesaler mm -hmm. they're not really thinking about and again i'm not trying to slam wholesaling by any means but i'm just thinking how some of the listeners are going to be thinking they're saying well i don't want to be in a wholesaler i don't know if that's right or not that's not what tom is doing tom is actually going in listening to the seller identifying multiple options based on options that may be relevant to that seller situation. And then at that point, allowing the seller to determine what's best for them. That to me is whether you're doing it from an investment standpoint or you're, or, or you're, or you're given options like, um, you know, uh, that, the, that you'll work out a lease arrangement, a lease back arrangement, you know, in the event that they get a buyer fast, they you, uh, work out and negotiate a six month lease back arrangement. Those are options. Those are options that are all relevant to today's time. So I think the message that we all need to take is you will get more listings as you offer more options to a seller. That's exactly right. And, and we, you know, I'm just talking about one option and yes. I guarantee Greg that you've talked about, you know, 10 or 15 other options that you, yeah. that your, that your team can put on the table. And, and those are like, it's just having the tool in your tool belt and knowing how to use it. Yeah. And it's, it's one tool. It's, I, I think it's a really significant tool. I think that it can help people a lot, not only to get the appointment, but also to close the sale. Um, but yeah, that's, it's just one tool. It's one of yeah. many tools that you can use. And it's all about, like you mentioned, like providing the solution to the person. Yeah. And um, the more that you can be the solution-minded person, the more somebody's going to want to work with you, period. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I think that you get credit just for bringing solutions. Whether or not they exercise <laughs> on one of them, I think that you're the hero. Because it's like to me, if you, especially with your 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 demeanor and the energy that you kind of portray, I like I feel like if you were to present this to me and I was to reject the offer, I don't rejecting that option is not the same as rejecting you. Actually, you bringing the option that I reject actually draws me in more to you, because if you as long as you delivered in a sincere manner. Yeah, and I, I think when they reject an option, it's an opportunity for you as a salesperson to really ask, like, what about that option doesn't work for you so that you can get greater clarity on how to help them. So if they yeah. say, hey, look, that sounds all great, but, you know, I don't mind, you know, the, the, this, this, and this about the traditional process. Well, that's great. Now we've actually helped because we've crossed off a particular option for them. Now we know what to hone in on and double down on. What else, Brendan? I know we're getting close to time. Anything else on your notes? No, um, I think, I mean, that's a, that's a, a great overall uh, kind of picture of what the options are for, for the agents that they really should be going out there because competition right now is fierce and the, and the more solutions you can provide, then that's going to put you a step ahead of the, your own competition as an agent. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I know, Tom, you said uh, that 
you're I don't I don't think you're in the coaching space or you're not doing any coaching I don't think is that correct or you are yeah no you said that wasn't kind of what you're you're into is there uh I I think you have a podcast coming out did you already start a podcast yeah I started yeah. it um I kind of retweaked it reworked it I have a book coming out too called agent investor which will depending on how quickly we can get through the edits uh will probably be towards the end of this year but um, anyone can just put me into YouTube. If you put Tom Caffarella into YouTube, all my stuff will come up. I've done yeah. a lot of videos. I have done a lot of coaching. Um, I'm just trying to think next, you know, where do I want to go with all this? And I'm kind of at a point where I'm going to take some time before kind of making any moves with it. So, yeah, yeah so I'm writing the book. I'm doing the Asian Investor Podcast. And um, if anybody does have any questions, please reach out to me about any of the iBuyer stuff or just investing as an agent in general, I'm happy to just, you know, do it for free for now. Yeah. Oh, what's the be best way to reach out to you? I know your website, uh, what you, know, you got Cameron real estate group.com. Is that your, your, that's your brokerage site, right? That's my brokerage site. Really the best way to get in touch with me is connecting with me on Facebook and sending me a Facebook message. I'm, yeah. that's just, I mean, I'm on that thing all day long and like people, you know, you go to this website, go to that website. Well, it might go to, one of my assistants or an agent or whatever. But like, if you connect with me, I'm Tommy Caffarella, T-O-M-M-Y on Facebook. You, you'll never not get me there. So that's, that's probably the best way. Yeah. I, I understand that. And since yeah. we're, since we're having that conversation, if anybody wants to connect with me, I prefer Facebook messenger, Brendan, I think you do also, right? Brendan Payne, yeah. awesome. um, Facebook page. Um, and then, of course, we hope that, uh, you know, if you like this episode, we're hoping that you'll listen to additional episodes, subscribe, leave us a comment, um, give us a review. Those things are all very, very helpful to all of us and allows us to continue to bring guests on and get even better and better, you know, guests that will share more and more, more information. But Tom, I, I want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, I'm, and you're bringing this conversation is a little bit different than a lot of the conversations, which I see a lot of value in because I like to have diversity in, you know, in the strategies that we share. So thank you so much for that. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, Brendan. Brendan, thank you. Thanks, Tom. I guess we'll, we'll talk to everybody next time. Bye-bye.